This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. How are you today? Good and great. That is fantastic. If I've not met you before, my name is Bryony, and um, it's really good to see you this morning. I'm glad that you're here with us. And um, before we go much further this morning, I want to ask you a question. Are you ready? I want to ask you a question, and um, I want you to take a moment to think about this question. And I'm sorry if I'm starting too heavy as we begin, but my question I want to ask you is this. Dan's shirt, yes or no? Who's hoping to see it make another appearance? (laughs) I'm seeing a few hands and hearing a few no's. Um, who thinks it's a little bit bland and he should have made more of an effort? <laughs> Seen a few. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm looking forward to the warmer weather because I'm looking forward to the jungle explorer safari look. If you were around at all last year, you, you'll know what I mean. If not, stick around because there's some treats in store for you, I'm sure. Um, but I will ask you another question this morning that perhaps has slightly more significance for you, maybe not for Dan, um, than that. Um, so be ready to consider the answer to that question. And this morning we're continuing our series that we started last week. And this series is called Devoted. And devotion is right at the heart of our vision and our purpose as a church. Devotion is right at the heart of who we are as a community. You see, the reason that we exist is to impact our neighbours and our nation and the nations. You've probably, if you've been around a while, you've probably heard us say that. That's our vision and our purpose as a community. But it doesn't end there. Our vision is to impact our neighbours and our nation and the nations in order to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's the purpose for which we seek to bring impact and seek to bring change. That, That starting with us, but far beyond here, that people would be transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus. And so devotion is right at the heart of who we are as a community. And today, as we pick up this series, the second part in this series, we're going to consider one of the values of our church community, one of our 12 values. And if, if you're kind of new to the community and you're interested in more of these, you can find these on our website. These are the things that are important to us. This is what you'll see when you look at us. And today, as we continue that, we're going to consider devotion to scripture. So if you're someone who likes a title, maybe you're writing notes, here's your title this morning, Devoted to Scripture. Because one of our values, one something that is important to us as a community is that we are a biblical community. We're a biblical community. And what we mean by that is that we value the scriptures, that we value the scriptures and we believe in the transforming power of God's word. Anyone else this morning? And we're going to kind of unpack a little bit of what that means and what that looks like. But we value the scriptures and we believe in the transforming power of God's word. So when you look at us as a community, you will see this. Every Sunday we teach from the scripture, just as we're doing this morning and as we'll continue to do. Every Thursday night in homes all across the region, people gather together to unpack and to study the scripture. 
If you visit resources, you'll find the scripture. You can buy Bibles. You can buy books about the Bible. When you look at us as a community, you see that we value scripture. Because when you look at someone's life, how is it that you can work out what they value? How is it that you know what someone values? Perhaps you can think about your friends or your family or your colleagues. Possibly it's the things that they say. Maybe it's the things that they talk about. Maybe that's what tells you what they value. Maybe it's the things that they do. Maybe it's what they post on social media. Maybe it's if you visit them in their home, what's on the wall. All these things tell us what someone values. I heard someone once say, if you really want to know a person, look at how they look at their diary and their bank statement. And I think, well, you'd have to know a person pretty well to ask to see their bank statement, wouldn't you? But there's some insight in that, isn't there? That how we spend our time and how we spend our money says something about what we value. But when it comes to scripture, I think it's more than that. The kind of questions we need to ask are, how is it changing you? How is it shaping your character? How is it affecting the way that you treat people? How is it informing the way that you make decisions? How does this shape the way that you respond to challenge or to conflict or to critique or to crisis? They're the kind of questions we need to ask to understand if we value scripture. It's, it's, it's more than that. It's how is this changing you? You know, if you came to our house and we welcomed you in and offered you a brew and you took a seat in our lounge and you just kind of glanced on the mantelpiece and perhaps you'd see my favorite candle and maybe some flowers that might look like they're slightly past it because I seem to notice a few days late. Anyone else like that? Um, and, And let's say you saw a Bible there on the mantelpiece. You may conclude that we value the scripture. See, our value of scripture is not found in the Bible as an ornament or with the Bible sat on a shelf collecting dust because it doesn't change us from there. It's found as we open it and as we start to read it and as we start to study it and as we dig into it and as we question it and as we reflect on it and as we talk about it with others and as we read about it, as we begin to learn it, that's where we see our value for scripture. That's where we see what it means to us and what it's doing to us. You see, I believe that regular reading of scripture is a habit of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And maybe when I say reading, maybe reading is something that is difficult for you. Well, we live in an age where you can listen, where it's incredibly easy in various ways to listen to scripture. So regular reading or listening to scripture, I believe is a habit of a fully devoted follower. That's the, that's the purpose of who we are as a church, to lead people, starting with us, to be fully devoted followers. But I think it goes further than that. I think there's more to it than that. See, I believe that our value of scripture is seen as we not just read, but as we wrestle. That our value of scripture is seen as we not just read, but as we wrestle. As we start to wrestle with this text, with this gift. And so my question this morning 
the real question is, do you want to be a reader or a wrestler? Do you want to be someone who reads or who goes beyond that and really starts to wrestle with what is here as you begin to open it up? And you might say, well, why? Why is it that I need to wrestle? Why is this, why is this book different to any other book that might be on my shelf? And why is it something I need to wrestle with? Well, we need to wrestle with scripture because it wasn't written today. It wasn't written today. It was written over a period of thousands of years and the most recent part, 2,000 years ago. So it was written in a very different era and that affects so much. In a different era, there are different customs, there are different values, it's a different culture. So we have to wrestle with it because it wasn't written today. And in different era, have you ever noticed that the same word can mean two different things in a different era? Do you remember when sick was a bad thing? If you've perhaps not caught up with this and someone says, that's sick, it's not an offense. It's now a good thing, apparently. You know, a different era has different values, has different customs, has different culture. It changes everything. One of my hobbies is that I like to play netball. And um, just this week, I came across some guidelines for high school netball from 1946. A different era, okay? You want to hear some of them? It's worth a chuckle. So this is how it begins. The opposing teams will walk towards each other in a ladylike manner and inquire after each other's health. That's how we begin. Followed by this, the young ladies will then put on gloves so as not to dirty their hands on the ball. And when a goal is scored, there will be no hysterical shouting, but the opposing captain will curtsy to the scorer. That's what you do. None of this. No whooping. And then um, finally, the next day, the young ladies should be given a day's holiday to recover from the exertion. I don't think that's going to fly with my employer. It's a different era. There's different values and there's different customs. It changes everything. And so we need to wrestle with the Bible because it wasn't written today. And we need to wrestle with the Bible because it wasn't written here. It wasn't written in Burnley or in Lancashire or in England. It was written in the ancient Near East, around 3,000 miles away. So a very different place in a very different time. We need to wrestle with the scripture because it wasn't written in English. It wasn't written in the language that for most of us is our first language. It was written in three ancient languages. And so not only do we have this kind of distance because it's a contemporary language and an ancient language, these languages are very, very different. Now, I don't know much about languages. I was not very good at learning languages at school, but I understand that there are kind of like families of languages. And that if you get into one family and learn one of those languages, it's easier then to learn the languages in the rest of the family. Now, when it comes to English and the ancient languages that the Bible were written in, these families are miles and miles apart. You know, this family wouldn't get on this family's Christmas list, even if this family was the one that kind of sent Christmas cards to everyone they've ever known. There is this big, big difference and this big gap between these languages. And so we have to wrestle with scripture to begin to close that gap. We need to wrestle with scripture because it wasn't written by one person. There are multiple different authors. One of the fun things I get to do in my job is proofread documents. 
Um, anyone else get to do that? A um, few people. We can, do, we can make a club about the joys of um, proofreading documents. And um, something I've come to recognize is you can see quite quickly when a document was written by different people. When like, a few people came together and wrote different sections of a document because they're all on the same page, but they perhaps use slightly different language. Or perhaps say things from a, a slightly different perspective. And in a, in a proofreading document, that's not a good thing. But here in the Bible, that's what we have. And that's part of what makes it rich, but that's sometimes what makes it difficult. And so we need to wrestle. We need to wrestle because it's not just one type of literature. So if you pick up a book off your bookshelf, perhaps you know this is a book about history. Or this is a book of poems. Or this is a book of instruction. This is how-to before YouTube was invented, back when we learned those things from books. And so you know what you're dealing with. Here in the Bible, it's a collection of books, and there's loads of different styles of writing in one book. There's poetry, and there's wisdom, there's history, there's the narrative, there's eyewitness accounts, there's letters written from one person to another or from one person to a community. And so when we open the Bible, we have to read it differently based on what kind of literature it is. And yet it's all contained in one book. This is why we need to wrestle with what we have here. We need to wrestle because the content is not always light and simple and straightforward. It's rich and it's deep and it's complex. And if you've ever come to the Bible and thought, I don't understand it. Let me tell you, you are not alone. And you know what? You were never meant to be alone when it comes to the Bible. You were never meant to be alone. The Bible was given to a community. It was always given to communities of people. The letters, they're rarely to one person. Occasionally they are. They're written to a community. The Bible, the scripture was given to community and was always meant to be read in community. So if you've ever found it difficult, you are not alone. And that is not a bad thing, depending on how you respond to that. If when you find it difficult, it goes back on the shelf, that's not going to produce change. But if when you find it difficult, you start to dig a bit deeper and you start to ask some more questions, that is a brilliant thing. And from there, change comes. So I don't know if I'm selling it this morning. (laughs) You might think, well, if it's so difficult, why would I? Life's difficult enough. And in a world where we're being trained to concentrate for smaller and smaller amounts of time, in a world where we like things that are so short and to the point and succinct that, succinct that they can fit into a tweet or a hashtag, why would I bother trying to dig into something that's difficult? In the Bible itself, in one of the letters in 2 Timothy, it says this. It says, all of Scripture is God-breathed. Is God-breathed. This fascinating metaphor That all of scripture is God-breathed. That somehow it is the breath of God given to us. That another translation says it's given by the inspiration of God. Why would I bother if it's hard work? Because who likes hard work? Because this is a gift from God for us. That it's given by God. That it is somehow the breath of God given to us. And I wonder sometimes if we've lost sight, perhaps complacent, become complacent for some of us with what a gift this is. Perhaps we've 
lost sight of the fact that there are people who gave their life so that I might hold a Bible in my hands, in my language. Have we lost sight of what a gift this is to us? You know, I heard recently of a small group of Christians who gathered in a toilet block of a concentration camp in North Korea. And there they gathered to pray and to hear the scripture. Now, if you were invited to a Bible study in a toilet block, what would be your response? I think I'd be washing my hair, to be honest. And say, unless you want to do it in a house, I'm up for that. I've never been in a toilet block of a concentration camp in North Korea. I remember being in high school, and I remember walking past the boys' toilets. (laughs) And somehow that was different when you walked past the girls' toilets. I don't know if that's still the case today. I did, um, just earlier this year, I used a toilet in China in a village that had no running water. And um, I I had to do it once as I was there on a visit, but I realized that that's their reality. I'm not going to go into detail, but I don't feel that traumatic is too big a word to describe my experience. And yet here are these group of Christians in the midst of what I can only describe as dirt, possibly disease, locked in darkness, who gather in a toilet block around the gift that is scripture. Because they understand that even in darkness, and especially in darkness, as it says in Psalms, that your word is a light for my path and a lamp for my feet. Why would we do the hard work of wrestling with scripture? Because it is a gift to us. It is the breath of God to us. It is given by God to us. And this verse goes on to say, and it's useful I don't know if that's an understatement. But it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, the Bible is always meant to change us. The Bible is always meant to change us. It's meant to equip us. It's meant to mobilize us to action. And as we encounter God's heart in scripture, and as we get a glimpse of that heart, and as we begin to feel the things that God feels, it's meant to send us out to bring change to the things that grieve God's heart, to celebrate the things that bring joy to his heart. It is there to equip, as it says in 2 Timothy 3, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why we wrestle. Because there's good works waiting for you to walk into this week. And you need to be equipped for them. Author Sarah Bessie puts it like this. People want black and white answers. But scripture is rainbow arch across the stormy sky. Our sacred book is not an indexed answer book or life manual. It is also a grand story, mystery, invitation, truth, and wisdom, and a passionate love letter. Why was I wrestle with scripture? Because it's a story for me to be a part of. It's wisdom for me to heed. It's mystery to boggle my mind and to draw me in. It is a letter of love for me to receive. It's an invitation for me to wrestle. And it is change just waiting to happen. 
It's change just waiting to happen. And I believe that transformation comes as we not just read, but as we wrestle. And I don't know about you, but I need to change. And I think I'm not the only one, because just two weeks ago, everyone was talking about New Year's resolutions, weren't they? Everyone was talking about how they're going to be different this year, how they're going to change. I don't know about you, but I, I find those moments in life where I become almost painfully aware of my need to change. You know, perhaps it's that moment when you receive an annoying email to a colleague and it's the response that you write before you delete it and start again. It's what comes out when, when frustration hits you. Maybe it's when your kid has a meltdown when you're already late and you go DEFCON on anyone in, in listening distance. You know, maybe it's you, you see your friends, there's a picture of your friends on social media and they're all having the best time ever and you wonder, why wasn't I invited? You spend the whole night getting lost in rejection. Maybe it's when that family member lets you down again. Maybe it's just me, or maybe we need to change. Maybe that's why we need to wrestle with scripture. Because transformation comes as we not just read, but as we wrestle. And I want to share with you something that's really helped me as I've sought to wrestle with scripture. Because you may be thinking, great, but how? And I don't want to leave you without a how this morning. I want to share with you something that helps me to wrestle with scripture. And that is to look at a passage, any part of the Bible that I'm reading, to look at a passage from four different angles, kind of four perspectives. And a book that's really helped me with this is a book called Havarim by Paul Gibbs, and it's available on Amazon if you want to look further. But what it is, is to look at one passage of scripture from four different perspectives. And so the first one is context. And so this begins to close the gap that's created by the fact that it wasn't written here, it wasn't written in this age, it wasn't written in our original language. It begins to close the gap on some of those things. So I start with asking a question. What seems odd? What seems odd that would be better understanding if I had an increased knowledge of the context? And when it comes to scripture, it is so important to ask questions. And maybe for some of us, questioning scripture somehow feels irreverent. Somehow feels like, or almost perhaps like we picture God as some kind of boarding school head teacher from a Dickens novel. Who, when we kind of ask a question, like bellows, how dare you question me? You know, perhaps that holds us back. Well, oh, that feels irreverent to question and to, to ask questions. I don't believe that's how God responds, because questions show that we care. Questions show that we're interested. Questions are what lead to answers and show that we're leaning forward, that we're on this journey of following Jesus, that we want to be more like him, that, that we want to understand. I think that brings joy to the heart of God. And so we must ask questions. And this is a good question to start with. Why did that person use that word? Who are these people? What were they like? What's this place they're talking about? Here's some more... Uh, specific questions that might help you. So who wrote this bit of the Bible? If it's different authors and different styles, who wrote it? Why did they write it? We learn about that in education, don't we? When you're reading a source, you need to understand the agenda they have because that affects how you read it. Why did they write it? Where were they when they wrote it? Was it a palace or a prison? Because that changes how we understand it. Maybe some other questions like, how is it affected by the manners and customs of the day? A different culture. How does that help me understand what's going on here? What about archaeology? It talks about that city. 
Well, what was that city? What was that city known for? Where was that city? Or that river that ran past? What's significant about that? Where did that city go from? Where did it lead to? What does history teach us about this subject? What helps me is to look first at a passage of scripture, kind of from the lens of context. What is the stuff that I don't understand because I I didn't live 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East. I didn't speak any of these languages. As I started to ask those those questions and find some answers, I started to discover more. Theologian Tom Wright said, each word must be understood within its own verse. Each verse within its own chapter. Each chapter within its own book. And each book within its own historical, cultural, and indeed canonical setting. So we begin to understand the context. Where does this fit? And the next way to, to look at it is, it is through the connections. So to look at the connections. So does this passage refer to another bit of the Bible that will help me understand it? Where does this passage fit in the big narrative of Scripture? Where does this story fit in the big story? See, the Bible has a big story from start to finish. And it's a story of sin and slavery met with forgiveness and freedom. So how does what I'm reading fit into there? We, as a group, some friends of mine were studying a passage together this week, and we were looking at a time where Jesus heals a blind man named Bartimaeus. And so we began to look at, well, when else does Jesus heal someone? And what does that teach us about this? And it was amazing as different people went and began to look at different miracles and different healings. And as we began to feed back, it was amazing hearing from different people's perspectives. And if I sat there in my lounge on my own that night, I would not have discovered half of what I discovered. Because I benefited from and I I grew from the perspectives of others in the room. And as the night came to an end and as we took a moment to pray and to reflect, it was as if we changed maybe just a little bit, but it was as if what we'd read and what we'd discovered together had changed us. See, I believe that transformation comes as we wrestle in community. And as we wrestle in community, it shapes us as a community. That we're shaped as a community as we wrestle in community. So we look at the connections. Then we I look again from another perspective, and this looks at collaboration. So what do I discover by putting myself in the story? See, it's easy sometimes, isn't it, to read the Bible, read, read a chapter, and it's someone's whole life from start to finish. And it's just like the main points. And it's easy sometimes to miss the human story, to miss the emotion, to miss the hopes, to miss the fears, to miss the roller coaster ride that they went on because we just see start to finish. But when we begin to put ourselves in the story, we begin to see something new. See, the Bible changes us when we put ourselves in the story. The Bible changes us when we put ourselves in the story because in doing so, we find ourselves in the story. We recognize ourselves in the story. I remember studying the story where Jesus cleans the feet of his disciples. He washes the feet of his disciples just hours before his crucifixion. And when I put myself in the story, it surprised me what struck me most. 
See, what struck me most was not that Jesus washed the dirty, disgusting, dirty feet of his followers. That did shock me. But that's not what shocked me most. It was not that he took on the role of the servant and did the role of the servant as the master. That surprised me and that shocked me and I saw that, but that wasn't what shocked me most. What shocked me most wasn't that he washed the feet of Judas, who was about to betray him into the hands of the Roman and Romans and lead to the crucifixion. I mean, that shocked me, but that wasn't what shocked me most. What shocked me the most was that he washed the feet of John. Now, John was one of the closest friends of Jesus. And I thought, if, well, if I was there, surely you could recruit John to get the job done quicker. And I thought, yeah, but Jesus didn't do that. He served the people closest to him, rather than just seeing them as an op- someone who can help me in what I'm doing. And it made me realize that maybe for me, the, there's a danger that the people closest to me, perhaps I forget to serve them in my pursuit of serving others. Perhaps I pour my, could pour myself out so much in others that the people closest to me get the worst of me. You see, someone once said, sometimes we read the Bible and sometimes the Bible reads us. And it's when we put ourselves in the story and we find ourselves in the story that we discover something about ourselves. And that leads to change. The final way that I look at scripture is to contemplate, to pause, to reflect, to listen to God. I might ask myself a couple of questions. Having done all that, God, what do I not yet understand? And what do you want me to do in response to this passage? Because this is always meant to lead to change. It's always meant to motivate us. We're always meant to put into practice that which we've discovered. See, Jesus himself told of the folly that it is to hear but not do. And he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, the Bible will change you if you put it into practice, if you allow it to mobilize you and to motivate you and to propel you. I want to invite the band as we come to a close this morning, as we begin to reflect. And this value is that we are a biblical community. What we mean by that is that we value the scripture and we believe in the transforming power of God's word. In the first book of John, the writer talks about God's word, about the word of God. He says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word was with God in the beginning. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus, the word of God, the word who became flesh, who dwelt among us, who always has been and always will be. And see, as we study scripture, it changes us. It changes us because it leads us to Jesus. Scripture leads us to Jesus. And as scripture leads us 
to Jesus, it changes everything. See, as Christians, we study not to learn a book, but to know Christ. And when we encounter Jesus in Scripture, it changes everything. When we encounter Jesus, it changes everything. When we experience his love, which is unrivaled in all the earth, it changes us. When we experience the acceptance that is not based on anything we've done or not done, it changes us. When we hear his voice, it changes us. When we grasp hold of his purpose and his mission and our part to play in it, it changes us. So why wrestle with scripture? Because scripture leads us to Jesus, the transforming power that is God's word. I remember as a teenager, having a conversation with my friends at a sleepover, as my friends from church, and um, we, we, someone asked this question, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And we kind of went through a few things, and the dinosaurs came up, and how the world was created, and what the future holds. And the conclusion I came to, and I think it's the same conclusion today, is that if I could ask God one question... And hear his answer loud and clear, uninterrupted, uninterfered. The question I would ask is, how much do you love me? Now that may sound a little bit self-absorbed, but my conviction was and is still today that if I could hear the voice of God loud and clear, uninterrupted and uninterfered, not a not filtered through my insecurities or my issues or my culture or my obsessions or my situation, then it would change everything. Because when we encounter Jesus, it changes everything. It changes everything. As we come to an end this morning, I want to invite you to respond. My question is, do you want to be a reader or a wrestler? Do you want to be a reader or a wrestler? as we wrestle with scripture, it leads us to Jesus. And as we encounter Jesus, we're transformed. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.